Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Catherine Knight is a rare specimen. She is a female psychopath, and men are three to five times more likely to become psychopaths than women. In part one, we covered her early life and her upbringing, all the way up to her marriage. Now here, in part two, we will continue to unravel her life and her horrific crime. My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. So do I need to recap you a bit? Yeah. <laughs> like 30 seconds ago, Nicole's like, wait, what are we doing again? <laughs> Go for it. Did a little that was slow, nice, but, actually. It was a gooder. Um, but yeah, you're all like, oh, what case are we doing? You can't even remember last week. Well, I feel like last week was more than a week ago. Well, a lot had happened. Yeah, it just seems like last week was busy, and I feel like that was like a month ago. So well, I, I need a recap. And some people now are just going to be listening to part one and jumping right into part two. So we'll do so a that, little. So they're fresh, at least. little middle recap. Okay, so a little recap on this. We're going to jump right into a recap here. Catherine Knight was brought up in kind of like a not a very good kind of atmosphere. Okay, quite a violent household and yeah, not so good. Um, eventually, she would get married to an individual whose name is David Stanford Kellett. And their relationship is quite rocky, rather aggressive. For example, there was one uh, incident on their honeymoon where David's life was in danger because he woke up to his now bride right. strangling him because right. they did not have sex five times. Right. It was only three. Shit, this is ringing a bell. Yeah. It's it's going to all just come back to me. Yeah. So now the most recent incident is that uh, David had actually left her. Right. Um, had gone away with another woman. Right. I was going to say another woman. Yep. Yep. And now Catherine has kind of lost her shit, um, dropped her kid off at a railway track, was swinging an axe downtown. Thankfully, the kid was saved um, and she was uh, put into an institution, but then subsequently released very soon after. And got her kid back. And is now holding her neighbors at knife point to go track down David's mother. Right. And yeah. and has said kid though, right? Um, or we weren't or we left as we weren't sure or something. I couldn't actually I did a little bit of searching on that. I couldn't find if she got the kid back here. 
I don't, oh, I don't know okay. just yet. Okay. Um, because yeah, some more stuff happens and she'll end up in an institution again. And then. Okay. I, well, yeah. let, we'll just let, yeah, we'll just let you. We'll get there. Here. Yeah. Um, but that is the quick elevator pitch of right. episode one. If you haven't listened to it, make sure you go do, um, a lot of her upbringing and a lot of her, I don't know, her atmosphere, that sort of stuff, her, what's the word I'm looking for? vibe definitely not vibe that's not what i'm thinking <laughs> oh okay um like her her surroundings oh, her surroundings, surroundings okay um, i think definitely play into who she is today and is going to be an important integral piece for part two when we actually listen to her later actions okay how exciting yeah um shoot what was i gonna say <laughs> it was there and then it just wasn't Holy heck, I don't know. But anyway, one thing I was going to talk about, I had something else to talk about, but that's long gone. Um, we had our true crime trivia night, which was we like did. a hit and a half. It was. Um, it was fantastic. Sold out rather quickly. People loved it. Although, holy shit, <laughs> people know their true crime. Yeah, we thought that the questions were like, fairly difficult i i even at one point was like oh do you think we should throw in some easier ones mm -hmm. but they were easy apparently like well, there wasn't any that any that everyone was stumped on no most i think i think most people got like at least like 80 percent of the yeah. questions yeah it was absurd i was kind of going for like intermediate questions where i'm like okay some I'll stump people and it's like, I think there was people who knew every single freaking question. It was just like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so hats off to everyone who was there. That was an incredible time. We're going to be doing it again. They blew us away. Yeah. And I actually, I thought of a fantastic question this morning when I, uh, oh, did like, you? like first thing when I woke up too, I was like, holy shit. I don't know why <laughs> this popped into my head, but it was a really good one. Oh, well, you're going to have to share. Cause yeah, after that night, Ben, like my goal is next trivia night. There's going to be one question that no one is going to get. Yes. But I don't want it to just be like so obscure that no one gets. I want it to be like. So hard. Like you really have to know your shit. Well, yes and no. I want it to be like hard that people aren't going to get it, but not so hard that it's like, oh, come on. No one's going to know mm. that. I want it to be a reasonable question that stumps everyone. That's what I want. That it's a question that they know the answer, but they can't, they can't, they, yeah. it's just there, but something, it, they can't grab it. Something they should know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Holy. Oh, what was it? Gosh. Um, I actually find it fascinating that men are more likely to be a psychopath. So do I. And I kind of want to know why. Like that's something I almost want to dig in a little bit because that's intriguing. So I do have a, a theory on this. Um, and it's a theory kind of, cause men generally are more aggressive in nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. More rapists, killers, psychopaths. It's just higher up all around. I think our dogs are horking over there. Well, no, they're playing. They <laughs> gotcha. have constantly been playing all day today on their beds. It's quite interesting to watch this. They just having a grand old time over there. Um, my theory is, I think it boils down to testosterone. And I'm, I'm not a biologist or anything. I don't know my shit. I just did a quick Google search one day and was like, huh, I found this interesting. So I, as far as I'm aware, testosterone levels increase during menstruation, AKA PMS, premenstrual syndrome. 
that's when the female natural body testosterone is at its highest, which makes you guys kind of act a little bit, you know, ornery, cranky sometimes, whatever. There's many different symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's testosterone that's naturally in men's system that just push. More, more of it. Yeah. So I think it's that chemical in the male genome that pushes them to be more like psychopaths, killers, whatever. Hmm. Because if you put that same chemical in females, you sort of see the same kind of spike in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I'll just say this really quickly is that lots of times I feel like men think women are the ones that don't have their shit together or a little nutto. <laughs> a little nutto. I'm just trying to word this nicely. But I was hey, trying to do the same. Don't worry. Hey, there's there's the stats there. Yeah. Women, women just, you know, we have our shit together more. Yeah. It's right there. And uh, like I say, I just think it comes down to <laughs> testosterone affecting the brain. That's what I think. Yeah, it might be. It would be interesting to to talk to like a psychologist or something about this. But anyway, yeah. we have some lovely patrons to thank. Do we yeah, not? We do. We have Haley Davis and Demi G who both signed up this Ooh, previous week. And they if they didn't, uh, if they're not local. They didn't get to see the trivia night live. Mm -hmm. The whole live stream is up on our Patreon so they can go check it out in uh, whenever they want. Yeah, we did our best with that. It was a bit hard because like we had audience kind of there, right? And then also this camera. But I have I have more ideas to make it more a little bit more interactive next yeah. time too. Okay. But it was still really cool. Like I hopefully they still felt like they were kind of a part of the event. So, yeah, I do too. But like it was just kind of like unfortunately for the trivia thing, it's like that's the primary. So mm -hmm. like going live stream, that's gonna be a secondary. So we have to make sure that we actually host the trivia first and foremost. Yeah. You know? And it was our first one. So it was, it was, it was a learning thing. It was really cool though. And we're excited to do more. Yeah. Anyway, should we get on to this? Cause I think we've kind of yabbered a little bit. Yeah, let's this. do it. Okay. So when we left off, like I said, Catherine had her previous life, her mm -hmm. marriage thing, and she currently um, is holding her neighbors hostage by knife point and demanding that they drive her to David, her husband's mom's house. Because she knows if she's going to get back at him for leaving her, the best way to do that is go after his mother. Oh, that's next level, hey? Next level. What'd you say? Nutto? <laughs> Nutto? Is that his hang? Is that how you said it? Nutto, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's what she was doing. She was, she was pulling a next level Nutto and going after David's mom. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so she managed to actually trick them by telling them that her daughter was sick and needed to ride to the hospital. So they mm -hmm. came over to pick him up and then that's when the knife point thing happened. Right. Uh, so the family was forced to take her to the hospital or sorry, I mean David's mom in order to save themselves. So Catherine entered their vehicle and they ended up pulling out of the driveway with her brandishing a knife. Now the family somehow miraculously managed to convince Catherine to let them stop at a service station where the, a woman from the, the family managed to escape and called for help. Quickly, the police arrived and they were able to apprehend and disarm Catherine to police um, with the help of the service station uh, manager. Um, and just like before, she was admitted into psychiatric hmm. care. 
That's actually pretty impressive that they were able to get themselves out of that situation. It really is. That's really good. Uh, and this is kind of where I, I couldn't find if she did still have her child at this point because it was only like a day or two prior that she was um, taken into care mm -hmm. and now was taken into care again. So okay. there's this like little window I am unsure of. Well, yeah, because I imagine there's – well, I don't know. This is older and stuff, right? This is a little bit older of a case. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So I imagine there, even then I'm sure there's like protocols and stuff and it's not like, oh, you come out of, out of care and here's your kid. Like it might take a little bit. Yeah. Like this case I think is like right now, I think we're sitting in the eighties. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Catherine though, like reported, reportedly confessed to the nurse that her intentions were also to kill the mechanic who worked at the service station. Why? Well, that, well, why? Because according to her, he had recently done repairs on David's car. So she believed that in doing so, the mechanic helped enable her husband to leave and run off with another woman. Oh, so my. that's why. So she claims she let the family stop at the service station. That's, that's getting a little bit unreasonable there. Yeah. You think that her mind's really going a mile a minute. Last episode, she left her infant. On railway tracks, and oh. this is – you think she's getting unreasonable. <laughs> a little bit. A li well, just a little. I mean, to, to have your brain wander to the fact that that mechanic helped your husband or whatever yeah. escape, that's – wow. Yeah. So um, additionally, she did also plan to murder both her husband and his mother upon arrival in Queensland when she got there with oh, this okay. family. So when David eventually caught wind of this incident, what do you oh. think he decided to do? Run for the fucking hills. He ran back to her. What? Yeah. He decided he would go back to his wife. Oh. And I. To protect his mom, maybe. No, because I don't think he had any idea that she was after him or her mother, because I think the idea of her confessing that she was going to murder them came out m many years later. So what he did, and mad respect to him for this, in all honesty, um, he went back to go take care of his wife. Oh, like he realized that she needed help. Basically. Really? Yeah. So he left his new girlfriend and relocated back to Aberdeen with his mother as well to help support and care for her. Well, I also imagine he was thinking about his child too. Yeah, most likely. Hmm. But yeah, he's like... I, I got to go back. She needs help. Wow. So whether that's the right call or not, I'm not going to argue on, but holy shit, mad respect for someone to pick up the boots and, and take on that burden. Well, I mean, he was very much so right. She does need some help. Here. Yeah, for sure. So it was on August 9th, 1976, that our, that's our current date, when David uh, made his way to the institution that was caring for Catherine. And she was released into his care um, along with his mother. And they also picked up their daughter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the daughter's back now. The daughter is back in their care for sure. So the two were making another attempt at the relationship. They wanted a fresh start. And at first, that's exactly what it was. But as time went on, the same problems began to arise. David was always walking on eggshells, truly convinced that if he said the wrong thing at the wrong time, he or someone else around would be killed. Oh. 
I can't imagine living that way. Well, I mean, it's one thing kind of like walking on eggshells if like your spouse is having a bad day or cranky or whatever, but yeah. like to be walking on eggshells because you're worried someone's going to die yeah. or that they're going to your spouse is going to kill somebody. Oh. Yeah. That's that's almost hard to even like put yourself in those shoes. It was. And I, I got a little example here of of how that played out. Just one second. I got one more little point I want to make first. So one point first was Catherine was actually caught having an affair at one point. She successfully begged David for another chance, even though a lot of her like shit in her own head was she was fearful of him cheating on her. Hmm. Yeah. So that's okay. odd. Um, but this one that's not unclear. Um, exactly where this falls in the timeline, but a friend of David and Catherine recalls um, a night where she witnessed Catherine holding their child under a tap of running hot water as the Ooh. child was screaming and crying. So this is where David specifically is, shows that he's walking on eggshells because the friend reportedly told David about this and he said, don't say anything to her. Do not say a word to her. Otherwise, you will die and she might kill me too. Oh my gosh. He's like, let me deal with this. Oh, yeah. But like your kid is like in some super danger here. Yeah. Yikes. I so, mean, yeah, he's really in a tough spot, but this is something has to happen here. So it would be in 1980 um, when they would welcome their second child oh, into the world. Oh, shit. That's not exactly where I was going with that. Yeah. Something needs to happen. Thing. I, I agree. I don't think I would be vouching for them to have another child. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the baby was little Natasha Marie Kellett. And it would be only four years later that Catherine would, would end up leaving David. Oh, okay. Four years later that she left David. She left David. Okay. Well, hopefully the kids remained with David. Well, not necessarily. Um, but David was working as a truck driver and Catherine suspected him of sleeping with other women while he was on the road. So one night when David came home, he found the house empty. She took everything and moved back to Aberdeen. Okay. Yeah. Everything, including the kiddos. You betcha. Now in 1986, Catherine would find herself entering another relationship. She met a man by the name of David Saunders, who was a 38-year-old minder. So because David and David, I'm going to refer to this guy as Saunders by his last name. Okay, yeah, because I was like, that's not going to be confusing at all. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> uh, so soon they began living their life together uh, with her two daughters and Saunders' new puppy. Oh, a puppy. A puppy. So Poor the first, puppy. What's that? Poor puppy. Yeah. Poor puppy for sure. The first couple months were great, but just like Catherine's previous relationship, things would go downhill rather quickly, especially when she had reason to su suspect of cheating. Mm. One occasion when Saunders returned home late, Catherine was ironing and attacked him by swinging the hot iron at him and striking him across the face with oh. it. Good God. Apparently the burn marks and like the, the holes that are in the iron from like little steam holes mm -hmm. were visible on his visible on his face for like many weeks after. Well, yeah. And I would imagine that would leave some sort of a scar too. Potentially. Yeah. Yikes. That would hurt. Yeah. So she's like literally striking him with a scalding hot iron 
Ouch. Oh my gosh. I just, oh, it's hard to put yourself in that situation because that's terrifying. I couldn't imagine coming home and you doing something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, what about this? Because that was only the beginning. In a very distressing incident in May of 1987, she callously took a knife to his two-month-old puppy and cut its throat as he helplessly watched. No. Yes. Wow. Oh my gosh. This, this freaking lady. I have some choice words that I'm just biting my tongue right now. She, a two month old puppy. Wow. She is pure evil. Um, another friend later on would talk about, uh, she would often swerve to try and hit dogs that were running across the road. Mm. And when questioned about it, she's like, I just don't like dogs. Who the fuck doesn't like dogs? <laughs> Apparently this bitch. Wow. Just saying. Oh. Um, and this incident was merely a warning for the consequences if he did ever cheat or leave her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And for one reason or another, Saunders actually did stay with her after this event. Um, he did attempt to, attempt to leave, but Catherine always managed to coerce him to stay, whether it was begging or threats. Huh. So I can understand, um, like there are toxic relationships and people like can't leave for various reasons. Oh I, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the dog thing that, that got to me when I was researching mm -hmm. and I knew it would, uh, probably get to you and many other people who are listening to this right now. So I'm sorry for that. Well, if you didn't know, we're big dog fans around here. We are. In June of 1988, the two would conceive and welcome a daughter into the world, Sarah Saunders. Though they were far from a happy home, eventually Saunders managed to leave Catherine and he understandably, understandably went into hiding in another town. So Catherine was unable to find him. Yeah. Well, he's terrified. Yeah. And of course, Catherine, I can't talk today. Of course, Catherine, there we go, was enraged, but there wasn't much she could do about it because she had absolutely no idea of his whereabouts mm -hmm. so that kind of sucked on her end but fantastic for saunders getting out of that relationship like ugh. well yeah that didn't seem like it was the healthiest of relationships yeah that that's one way to describe it that's a good that's a, a nice way to describe it <laughs> very very nice way uh, in 1991 Catherine would become pregnant with her fourth child with a man by the name of john chillingworth um, a former co-worker from the slaughterhouse. And in 1992, she gave birth to their son, Eric Chillingworth. Okay. Now, despite their new son, though, the relationship was, like all others we mentioned so far, violent, and it wouldn't actually last too long. She would leave John af after three years. So at the beginning of her relationships, like she, she must... She hides how she really is then, eh? Yeah. For like a time being. Well, and, I think it's kind of like these people in. I think it's kind of like a, a honeymoon period, right? Once like the hunt, like the, oh my God, like lovey-dovey, lovey-dovey. Once it's like, okay, well, all of a sudden it's like he's coming home a little later from work because okay. instead of like rushing home to see me and have dinner with me and romance me, he's like, oh, I'm going to go with the guys tonight. Yeah. It's like, oh. What about me? Okay, that makes sense. Because, yeah, maybe the first few months, like, you're almost, un like, you're inseparable, right? Yeah. Inseparable? Inseparable. I think both could actually apply I technically. Don't know. <laughs> um, 
and then yeah, I guess as life moves on, like you kind of you go back to a little bit of your day to day. And yeah, hmm. so okay. Um, and there is some speculation out there, and I don't want to say facts on it because it's just people talking. Um, but there are some articles I read where she was apparently really good in bed, so that was part of that. Oh, okay. That allure. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. So anyways, she would leave John Chillington for John Price. Jeez. Why the fuck do all these people have the same name? Yeah, I know. Well, John, sorry, Chillingworth, not Chillington. Uh, Chilling, John Chillingworth was a very minor blip in this story. So the main John we are talking about here is John Price. Okay. So John Price was born on the 4th of April in 1955 and had three kids of his own when he began seeing Catherine. Though his two-year-old daughter stayed with his former wife, he did have custody of his two older children. So he was described as a well-liked individual. And in 1995, Catherine would move in with John into his home, though it wasn't really a permanent situation. She still had kind of her own place. She just kind of treated his place like hers as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of her stuff was there and kind of thing, you know? Like more than just the toothbrush, eh? I, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so unfortunately for John Price, all those years of violent behaviors building up would come to a brutal climactic moment, if you will, at his expense. Okay. Here I was thinking that she might hurt his kids or something because what she did to that one guy's puppy, gosh. Mm. Or maybe she does. Okay, let's hear. <laughs> well, John was fully aware of Kath Catherine's violent reputation. Um, as I mentioned, it potentially could have been that he was still in the relationship for sexual reasons. Um, he actually does confirm that a little bit later on here, but I'll, I'll get to that. Um, at the beginning, apart from the occasional violent argument, life seemed quite pleasant and his children took a liking to her actually. So Price was earning good money, working at the local mines and overall things seemed positive. However, in 1998, Catherine and John began to clash over his refusal to marry her. It was after 18 months that they began seeing each other that Catherine was pushing for marriage. Oh man, that's actually not very much time, really. It's not. However, John made it clear that he was only only in it for the sex and the relationship and didn't want marriage. Like, is that what he actually said to her? I couldn't find an exact quote on what he said, but I found articles talking about that. That's probably something he kind of said hearsay, like after, I'm assuming, not to her face. No, I, I think it was more so like, yeah, no, I'm just like, it's just a relationship for me. Like the sex, the relationship, the fun. I think that's kind of what he was, was after. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Like he already had kids been there, done that maybe. Yeah. He, he is divorced. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and I mean, to any regular person, this sort of like conversation, they may take that as a sign. It's like, you know what? Okay. We got to go different ways. This relationship clearly isn't going to work. We want different things. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe even it's a sign that, okay, we got to work on some things together to get on track together. Maybe find a middle ground somehow or something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe like a, a forever engagement ring, no paper sign, no nothing, but at least like give me some sort of commitment, commitment, physical, you know, sign of a commitment. Yeah. Something like some middle ground. Let's talk about it. You know? Yeah. Um, but for Catherine, it was, of course, much more. So as Catherine had done in the past, you know, continuing with her douche canoe ways, 
She wanted to get revenge and turned to try and hurt someone close to John because that's just what she does. Yep. You know, trying to go after the mom, successfully going after the puppy. Shit, so, I think one of the kids is in danger here. Well, it wasn't physical harm that she attempted, but it was still traumatizing. So she would sit down with one of John's 14-year-old daughters and she began to tell her that John wasn't her real dad. Okay. Yeah. Just Cap making up some shit. Yeah. She just like started fucking spewing lies, bullshit. She's like, oh, yeah, he's not your dad. He's like, yeah, your mom was sleeping around a bunch and some other dude out there is your dad. John's just some guy. She cheated on him. Whoa. Could you imagine? At 14. Yeah. You would just be like hysterical. Yeah. Okay. So she tried, she pulled that, which is not fucking cool. No, but I did kind of expect that she was going to like kill one of them. Not going to lie. No, Luckily enough, she did not uh, go after the kid in this instance, which is fantastic. Um, though again, that sort of trauma, not cool. Mm -hmm. uh, so she continued to bother John about the whole marriage thing and he held his ground, but it was becoming enough for him. He wanted her out of his house. Enough, enough, hey? Enough's enough. Yeah. But she refused. <laughs> now, while in John's house, Catherine eventually found John's will and realized that he didn't have her on it at all. Okay, well, have they, like, they've literally hardly been together here yeah. at this point. Yeah, like, you, you can round it up and you can say two years just to be gracious. Huh. Okay. She just, oh man, he's yeah. probably regretting some shit here. Yeah. Well, she's looking at the will and it's all like, oh, you're leaving it to your ex-wife and like your kids and stuff. Like mm -hmm. that's, I'm not in your fucking will. And she thought this was absolute bullshit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I know what she did to get him back this time. What? Well, she didn't go after the kids this time. She did go after him personally. Okay. In retaliation, she secretly recorded John handling items. Items that she alleged were stolen from his workplace. And then she proceeded to take that recording and send the video to his boss at work. Really? Yes. So the items in question were outdated medical kits and first aid supplies that John had salvaged from the company's garbage. However, this was enough for the company to see the theft and they terminated his employment after 17 years with the company. Wow. I don't even quite understand how that would like even benefit her. Like she is like literally this like... I don't. She's a bitch. Well, yeah, like I <laughs> she's straight say up crazy, but I I don't know. That's like maybe not the best. She's a crazy bitch. She is though. Like just like the way her 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 mind's like thinking about all these things she can do to just like ruin other people's lives and people that she's supposed to like care and love and stuff is well. And remember, we we are dealing with a psychopath. Yeah, that is what she is. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Holy, I, okay, 
That's and that's also kind of sad if they were expired first aid stuff that he like literally just took from the garbage that he was planning to like use, which is better than them not being in the landfill. Yeah. And his work is just like, no. Yeah. Terminated. Hmm. Brutal. I mean, at least look at it from this from the workplace standpoint, though I don't agree with them. I'm just devil's advocate here. At the very least, you have what's now being spread around work, I'm sure, as video evidence of someone stealing from the company. And then they don't do anything. And then they don't do anything. What's that going to promote? Yeah. You almost have to wonder, though, if that was her way of trying to control him more so in that he now doesn't have a job and maybe, like, needs to rely on her and he's home more or something. I actually didn't go into this too much, but she worked at the slaughterhouse for a little while, but then she ended up injuring her back somehow and was on disability. So she didn't have a whole lot of income either. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Sorry. Mosquitoes. (laughs) One got in the house. I got him. Oh, good I got him. He's good. Yeah, they're kind of bad today. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, she didn't really have much of an income either. Hmm. So. Well, yeah. So I just don't quite like see how that's going to benefit her in any way either. Revenge. Well, I mean, but now like they're going to be struggling for money and stuff. I don't think she cares. The biggest thing with her is she likes to see others suffer. suffer. Yeah. Whether it's emotional, physical, she likes to see suffering. She likes to be the center of it. And she, it's all about her. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter anyone else. And if you wrong her, she's going to see you suffer so she can feel better. Jeez. A true fucking psychopath. It almost just makes me feel ill. Like I want to barf. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, fair enough. I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sympathize. That's what I was looking for. I can sympathize with that. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, John was absolutely fed up with Catherine. So he made the decision to finally kick her out of his house once and for all. Now it was February 29th that he visited the Scone Magistrate Courthouse on his way to work and obtained a restraining order in an attempt to protect himself and his children from Catherine. Hmm. That afternoon, while at his new job at work, John spoke to his coworkers about Catherine and was showing scars from physical abuse that he'd been enduring throughout the relationship. Um, reportedly, some of the scars were from her, though I couldn't find information on it, stabbing him. Oh my gosh. So I don't know how deep or the extent or the tool or even the incident, because there's a lot of these incidents in within her relationships. It's It's hard to sift through them all. Well, yeah, I could imagine the amount of like, research you had to do for this Gosh. well it's over the course of an entire lifetime mm-hmm. lifetime of abuse not only on her and her her childhood but in her adulthood abusing others mm-hmm. so anyways he was talking about it and he showed the scars and he also told his co-workers he's like hey if i don't show up for work tomorrow it's because Catherine killed me oh my gosh just warning people hey just warning people and i mean respectably his coworkers were pretty much begging him like don't fucking go home then like if you are thinking you're going to be in danger like this this woman is this off the wall mm-hmm. don't fucking go home yeah but that is it's that's tough are they offering him somewhere to stay and stuff because it's hard that's hard right well i'm sure someone would have offered him somewhere to stay i guarantee you he would have been able to find a place easy enough because yeah you did say he was like well like he right? was he was yeah and especially if if someone's like i'm gonna get fucking murdered tonight i don't think i know anyone who would say 
you cannot stay with me then. Like, yeah, but then that's also kind of scary for them, too. And he could even be thinking, well, he doesn't want to put other people in danger. Yeah, but if they don't know, especially in this is now in the 80s, there's still no cell phones. There's no Internet. How are you going to fucking know that he's at yeah. Jeffrey's house four blocks away? I guess. Or across It'd be town. easier to hide. It would be. Um, but John's major reasoning, though, why he was like insisting that he does need to go home he knew that there was a chance that she would harm his kids if he didn't go back home. Mm -hmm. That was the big thing for him. Right. So after his shift at work, he did as he always did, despite any danger that he thought he might be in, and he returned home as per usual. Now, when he was home, he discovered that Catherine had actually sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's place. Now, relieved that his kids were safe, he actually spent the evening at his neighbor's place before returning home and going to bed at 11 p.m. This spot is a little bit gray for me. I couldn't find if Catherine was there when he got home or not. Or there must have been a note that she wrote or something saying okay. the kids are away. Yeah. I'm assuming she wasn't there. The note was there. That's my assumption. Okay. okay. So bear that in mind. So he's just on edge for the whole night, basically. Yes. Now, at 6 a.m. the following day, a neighbor had noticed that John's car was still in his driveway when he usually has gone to work by now. John's employer also sent a worker to check on him as he didn't show up for his shift. And after repeatedly calling him on his phone, there was no answer. Oh, no. So both the neighbor and the worker together were trying to get John's attention. They were knocking on his bedroom window trying to get him to wake up, thinking that he must be in there. Mm -hmm. And they went to the front door to try and knock. And that's where they saw traces of blood on the front door. And they knew something yeah. wasn't right. Dang it. So they quickly alerted police who broke down the back door of his home on 84th St. Andrews Street and discovered John's lifeless body. She got him. She got to him. So Catherine was also in the home. Alive? Yes, alive. Okay. She was found passed out in a comatose state from consuming a large amount of pills. She was lying next to the remains, mutilated remains, oh. of John Price. Whoa. So was she like trying to kill herself? Commit suicide? <laughs> or that's a gray area? Maybe. We'll, we'll get onto that okay. too. Okay. So Catherine had purchased the night before. Sorry, I'm a paragraph ahead of myself. So what had happened the night of John's death is odd, bizarre string of events and somewhat argumentative of showing premeditation. Okay. So the night before she had purchased this lace black nightgown and headed over to see her kids at her place. She recorded them in what kind of almost seems like a last will and testament kind of way. Okay. Kind of talking on camera about certain items that, oh, this is, this is mine. I've always loved this. Oh, it's yours. It's my, what's mine is yours kind, oh. kind of attitude, right? So acting maybe a little bit different. Yeah. And after that, she went to John's house. She showered and put on the nightgown. And at this time, John was already home asleep. So she would sleep a little while and then woke up in the middle of the night. And then she also woke up John and the two began having sex. Interesting. After that, a little while, kind of thing they did. 
thing they did. Thing they did. John fell back asleep. And that's when the attack occurred. Is it because they only had sex one time? Maybe. I don't know. Catherine would reach forward and retrieve a butcher knife from its usual place hanging above the bed. And she proceeded to stab John a total of 37 times. Brutal. It is thought that John briefly regained consciousness during the attack, but unfortunately was unable to defend himself. There's also thoughts that he was able to stumble through the house a bit, exiting through the front door, and whether he fell back inside or was pulled back inside before the door was closed, it's unsure, but he would succumb to the injuries of the attack. You know, it's almost surprising to me, though, that he was able to even fall asleep. Yeah. Like he must have really was able to like sleepy. Like I just feel like I would have troubles falling asleep if you literally thought the person next to you was could murder you. Yeah, but that as much as I hate to give her this credit, that might just fall back onto the fact that she's just that good of a fucking lay. I don't know. Oh, gosh. I mean, he's like dead asleep. He wakes up all of a sudden he's getting like the lay of his life and then just rolls over back to sleep again. Well, yeah. And he's probably like, Oh, like we just, we just did this. Like nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah. But he, he literally had no idea how, how nuts she was. Exactly. Yeah. So Catherine, unfortunately though, wasn't done killing him. Wasn't just enough for her. She would then drag his body into an area where she would proceed to skin him and (sighs) hang him. Hang his remains, in fact, from meat hooks in the living room. Oh my gosh, that's gross. She would proceed to decapitate his body and dismember him. Not only that, but she would begin preparing pieces of his flesh to cook in a dish alongside potatoes, pumpkins, beets, zucchini, cabbage, squash, and even gravy. The fuck? Yeah, she's she's making dinner in the middle of the night. A roast with his... Basically, yeah. remains. Basically. Uh, she, shit. she prepared a whole, whole meal for herself. Although evidence would <sighs> at the crime scene suggest that she couldn't finish her plate as portions of the meal were discarded and that discarded, it was actually discarded out in the backyard on the lawn somewhere. So it's kind of like odd spot to be discarded, but, uh, half her plate was, she finished half her plate basically. So like she literally ate some of him. Oh yeah. She consumed him. Huh? She cooked and consumed him. Okay, well, can we please note that Ben is doing a cannibalism case? (laughs) And not Nicole. There you go. It's not always me. Not always you. There's there's a once for everything. (laughs) First time for everything. First time. That's that's the saying. That's it. We're really good with our words today. At least we can help each other out. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, she prepared the meal for herself, ate at least some of it, and then discarded the rest. Um, subsequently she would then lay down next to some of John's mutilated remains and ingest a significant amount of pills before she lost consciousness. Hmm. That is just so fucked. Well, the last little gory detail here amongst all the blood and gore around the house, law enforcement uncovered another gruesome sight of John's severed head boiling in a pot of vegetables on the stove. Oh my gosh. I think this is now like the third or fourth case where there's been a head, head boiling boil. on the stove. It's a thing. I apparently. have absolutely no idea why. Yeah, I don't know either, but it's apparently a thing. It's like they're making stock for soup. Yeah. 
which is disturbing. Um, want to know something else very disturbing about this? No. Well, they also found two more fully set plates with food and flesh set at the table, each bearing a name tag next to it. For his kids. Two of his kids. Oh. Apparently she left out one because she liked the kid, but the other two, yeah, there were play sets with their dad's cooked remains alongside healthy servings of vegetables and gravy ready to go. She fully intended to feed the kids their dad. Oh my gosh. This just keeps getting worse. Like, are we done yet here? Well, what do you mean? Are we done yet? Like, I just cannot believe that this can keep going. Well, I mean, like that's... she needs. Okay. At this point, if she, if she's alive, she needs to be in jail. And like, there's no literal chance that she can get out of jail at this point. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, Catherine would wake up. Catherine was not dead. Police were able to wake her up on the scene. And of course, when she woke up, what do you think she did? Oh my God, what happened? Yeah, she played dumb and rec- and claimed that she had no recollection of the incident that transpired. Okay, and they <laughs> didn't buy it. Um, I don't think so, really, but... Who knows? Yeah. She was pretty good. Like, she was pretty good at making people, like, manipulative. Well... Manipulative. Manipulative. She was manipulative. Yeah. <laughs> well, just one little piece here to show her manipulation skills. There was a witness watching the police aftermath of the crime scene, like the police bombarding the house because like it kind of caused a scene in the neighborhood. People were kind of gathered. Yeah, around, right. That would. And so a witness um, would talk about seeing Catherine actually walk out of the house with a very evil, malicious smile across her face. And at the hospital, she would arrive on a bed. What does that mean? Catherine willingly walks out of the house smiling. But yeah, when she arrives at the hospital, she's in bed and very sickly. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, just like, Kate, was she like a good looking person? No. Okay. No. For some reason, I'm just like picturing this, like just this babe. No. Okay. Well, like, I have no idea how she's getting away with this shit and stuff. I mean, objectively speaking, in her prime, was she horrible? No, I'd say she's, I don't know, like average in her prime. Okay. But yeah. Huh. Yeah. Just that's quite a visual of her just like walking out of there, just completely needing help. Like you have to be careful with the words you use, right? Like she needs help. But, and just like what she just did and she is looking like, pleased with herself about it yeah wow there was one final little piece here that i'm going to talk about um from the crime scene um on top of a photograph in the house of john police also found a note Catherine had handwritten it was stained with bits of blood and had bits of remaining flesh attached to it um just from residual handling and though it's somewhat gibberish the note reads this hopefully hopefully you can kind of We'll walk through it a bit. Okay. Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You to Beck for Ross. For little John. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Now the individuals she's referring to, um, Beck, 
Ross and little John are apparently some of John's children or some of the children involved. Okay. Um, so after a lengthy investigation, actually police found that the claims and accusations of raping uh, were baseless and most likely fictitious. Mm-hmm. Almost heard her kind of throwing in an excuse there for what she did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kind of just saying like giving herself reason saying, oh, this is why I did it. You know, trying to maybe give him a bad name in the aftermath too. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Um, so Catherine and her legal team initially offered a plea of guilty to manslaughter, mm. which is basically like, oops, I accidentally killed someone, like hitting someone with a vehicle, right? Like yeah. did not mean to kill them. Well, but technically I, I honestly don't even a hundred percent feel like this could have been planned. Cause like maybe she didn't necessarily plan to kill him, but like she has those knives in the spot and and woke up and something pissed her off and and here she went on a little rampage. Well, the little argument for premeditation though is the kind of will and testament video prior to. So it's like, oh, you're sitting here recording a video of like, oh, I make sure that my kid gets this sort of thing. Or like, she didn't say that per se, but she hints a lot of that sort of stuff. It's like, oh, why, why are you kind of like doing a last will and testament thing on a little video all of a sudden the night before this big murder? Clearly you were planning something. Well, plan, she was planning to maybe kill herself. Touche. But maybe not him, but probably him. I'm just, I'm just. Well, even if that isn't the case, even if it was just a lapse in judgment, a in the spur of the moment killing, mm -hmm. she stabbed him 37 times. Well, yeah, overkilled him. She skinned yeah. him. She cut oh, his yeah. head off. She boiled Served him. Served him she for dinner. She cooked him. She ate him. She okay, also yeah. made vegetables alongside his fucking body. Yeah, that needs to be more than just uh premeditation doesn't have to be like hours or days in advance. It can be like a few like moments before. Yeah. If you intentionally say, I'm gonna do this, and then seconds later you do it, that's premeditation. Yeah. And that's exactly what she did. She's like, I'm gonna fucking stab him more. I'm gonna cook him. I'm gonna eat him. I'm gonna make a plate for his kids. Like, fuck, that's yeah. that what? Okay. Yeah, nope. Yeah, it needs to be more than that. Yeah. For sure. So she was like, Yeah, I'll plead guilty to manslaughter. Um, Catherine would enter the plea. Sorry. It would be rejected. My apologies. Mm -hmm. Um, and on March 2nd, 2001, she would officially be charged with the murder of John Price. Uh, and she would enter the plea of not guilty. And though the trial was initially scheduled for the 23rd of July in 2001, um, it would be postponed and it would eventually take place place on October 15th in 2001. Okay. Uh, so during the commencement of the trial, justice Barry O'Keefe, offered all the 60 uh, prospective jurors the option to be excused due to the graphic nature of the mm. photographic evidence. Mm -hmm. That alone is wild to me. Okay, so this is like super disturbing that I'm about to say this, but if I'm like ever on a jury, this would be like the case that I'd want to be on. I would be so mortified and so disturbed and just sick to my stomach, but it would be like Pretty fucking interesting. I have a feeling anyone out there listening to a true crime podcast would especially, probably say the same thing. Yeah, especially if they're on part two and this deep in the second part of this episode. I have a feeling they're all with you on that and they understand. But honestly, also, it would be traumatizing. Oh, yeah. It would 100% affect the rest of your life, though. Definitely. It'd so, be fucked up. Yeah, but it would sure be like, wow. It'd be fucked up but fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so during the commencement of the trial, sorry, 
covered that. Uh, there will be five jurors that actually took up the opportunity to be excused from this. Mm -hmm. So Catherine's defense had initially planned to argue her case um, based on claims of amnesia and disassociation. Oh, okay. Which apparently had the support of most psychiatrists, despite their acknowledgement of her sanity. So they're like, she's sane, but psychiatrists still support the idea of amnesia and diso disassociation. Yeah, that's well, I think like she was almost in some sort of state because didn't at some point you say like there could be like a switch? Yeah. Right? Well, it seemed like that. It seemed like anything could just fucking set her off. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, psychiatrists are like, yeah, she's completely sane. But yeah, I think there is something there that, yeah, like you're saying, this switch almost. Mm -hmm. So two psychiatrists concluded that Catherine suffered from borderline personality disorder as well. Wow. Okay. So which is kind of like almost on the lines of bipolar, which would explain that switch and yeah. this whole situation. Now, the next day on Catherine's trial, unexpectedly... She changed her plea to guilty. Really? Yes. She just decided to have a conscience overnight or what? I guess. She's like, no, I'm guilty. And her legal team's like, yeah, I, what? No, no, no. And she's like, no, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm pleading guilty. Oh, my gosh. And of course, they can't make her not. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, I feel like they should be happy. Gosh, could you imagine defending her? Oh. Oh, I don't know if I couldn't accept it. I'm. That amount of money, like I'd need endless amount of money to be able yeah, to do that. No kidding. Uh, so her legal team, though, did apparently know that she was changing her plea on the initial day of the trial, because this is now day two when she's pleading mm -hmm. guilty. On day one, they knew that she was changing her plea. However, they wanted the overnight to basically get a psychiatric evaluation to determine if she was fully comprehending the implications of a guilty right. plea. Um, and yeah, she passed it. It's like, yeah, she knows what she's doing. She's huh. just perfectly fine. She can make the call herself. Totally. Yeah. But I'm like, this is good riddance. This is a good thing. Yeah. So Catherine never gave any sort of specific reason why she suddenly changed to a guilty plea. Huh? Yeah. Um, and even after changing and pleading guilty, she continued to deny responsibilities for her actions, though. Oh, OK. That's a bit weird. Yeah. She's like, I did it. But I didn't do but it. But I'm not responsible for it. I mean, unless she's kind of saying like that disassociation she was like in that state. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I think what she was trying to do with this is trying to probably get a lesser sentence. Huh. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to plead guilty. And I'm just going to say these psych, these psychiatrists all know that I'm like disassociating uh, borderline personality disorder, all this sort of stuff. If she's like, I'm just going to plead guilty. They know this. Then perhaps it'll be a lesser sentence. Maybe I'll just go into psychiatric care. Yeah. That could have been what she's hoping for. I guess, but I feel like, I don't know if she just ran the course of the trial that she would have ended up getting less, but who knows? Yeah, who knows for sure. Uh, so during the sentence hearing, when details of the gruesome act of skinning and decapitation were being described, Catherine reportedly became, quote, hysterical and had to be sedated. Now, I can't find facts on what hysterical exactly means. I'm assuming in like a like panic attack sort of way, mm -hmm. not like a joker laughing maniacal way. Like so. almost, wow, I fucking did that yeah. potentially. I think so. Hmm. So on the 8th of November, Catherine Knight was sentenced to life in prison without 
anything of a specification uh, on a non-parole period. So there's nothing in there saying about a parole period. However, on her papers, on her prison sentence papers, there is a phrase that it the sentence had to be contained in this. Okay. So it's like the sentence is like she's due to life, no parole specifications. However, the sentence papers have to say this. Definitely never to be released. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine the fucking papers saying that? Definitely oh. never to be released. Well, thank goodness they say that. Yeah. And this marked the first time such a designation had ever, and I mean ever, been imposed on a woman in Australian history. Hmm. The first woman to ever serve a full or be given a full yeah. life sentence. Huh. Is she still alive? Uh, you know, I actually, that's one thing I didn't actually look up. We'll Google it here at the end. Okay. I have one more paragraph. Okay. Uh, in June of 2006, Catherine appealed her life sentence, arguing that a penalty of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole was overly severe for the crime she committed. <laughs> but her p appeal was, of course, denied. Now, I did assume Catherine is still alive, though I never did actually look it up per se. Nicole's doing it right now. What do you think? Well, find? I don't know what the frick's her last name, though. Knight. Okay, K that's what I thought. K-N-I-G-H-T. Okay. This could take me a minute here. Shit, I think she's still alive. I'm, I'm pretty sure. terrifying. I'm pretty sure she is, but I just didn't Yeah, it's because it says say she's it. 67 years old. Yeah, okay. So Catherine, yeah, is still alive. Nicole just fact-checked it. I really don't love that. I mean, not that I'm saying like that I want her to die, but it's just like crazy that someone that's so like terrifying is, is, still, is out there, is still alive. Like, ugh. I wonder what she's thinking right now. Oh, let's not. Let's not wonder that. How do you think someone like that would live out their days behind bars? Well, I'm someone just, and I don't, I don't mean someone like that, not someone like who commits that sort of atrocity. I'm talking like bare bones. What do you think goes through a psychopath's head? Once they are put behind bars, just that alone. Well, it kind of depends. Cause like I need, I sort of would want to know if she has been getting help or if she's like on maybe some medication or whatever for like her mental health. I'm sure there definitely is some help. Because if, she, yeah, if she wasn't, then I just think it wouldn't be pretty at all. But then if she is, I don't know. I feel like, like someone like that, I think like strict routine would be really good for them. So I bet you she's actually really like doing pretty good in there. Yeah. Right. It's, it's probably where someone like that, and I don't mean it in a negative context. We're like, yeah, fucking burn in hell. No, I mean, like, I think like you say, strict routine is probably good for someone like that. I think behind bars in prison is probably the best place for someone like that mm -hmm. because it's going to offer rehabilitation. It's going to offer structure. It's going to offer rules. It's going to offer people watching and ensuring that there's no slip ups. Well, yeah, and, and like, I mean, there probably isn't a lot in there that's going to, like, set her off. Yeah. And now all that is hoping that she is in a good prison system where, yeah, those rules are being upheld. Yeah. <laughs> and not, like, shitty guards who are like, oh, yeah, I'll get you cigarettes for cheap. Like, you know. Like, she's really just not that old. She's not. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And so that is the story of Catherine Knight, uh, the cannibal who tried to feed a man to his own children and is the psychopath who 
is the first woman in Australia to receive a full life sentence. Hmm. What a story. What a story. Yeah, that was a fun one to research. I actually think that would be hell to research. It would be. <laughs> you would know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really would be. I think it actually took a lot out of you. That it one. did. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't feel like emotionally distraught, but I just feel like physically drained, which is yeah. weird. Usually it like hits emotionally. This one was just like, fuck. Well, like, sometimes the two parters are a bit more draining too, because there's like guess. so much information and you're trying to put it in an order that like makes sense kind of, and, and try not to forget things when, cause they do so much, right? Yeah. Well, she committed she did so much, a lot and a lot of little acts that balled up over decades, really. Mm -hmm. And there it's impossible to cover every single little detail in this case. Uh, and I know we've said that a few other times before, but this was literally a lifetime of crime. Is that her? That's her, yeah. Okay, yeah, she's not really a looker, is she? No, that's not her prime though either. But no, she's not really a looker. Like I say, in her prime, she's like, you know, yeah, you know, kind of average. Huh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Not really what I had pictured for some mind, no. reason. There are two mosquitoes in the world. Like I think I was kind of picturing, because a lot of, I was kind of picturing like a psychopath man that's like good looking like ted bundy or like jeffrey dahmer or what's the barbie and ken what the frick's his name again oh um i'm carla homoka and shit <laughs> this is why we're terrible with true crime trivia they were literally a question on the yeah. trivia too <laughs> i can ha i have absolutely no idea what his name is there's two mosquitoes. People in the wall are, behind are you. screaming at us. Are right you now. hearing what I'm saying? This is the second time I've said it. There's two mosquitoes in the wall behind you. Well, what am I supposed to do about that right now? Get them, slap them, kill them, destroy them. Well, I'm currently trying to find what this guy's name was. Oh, Paul Bernardo. Paul Bernardo. Yeah, there it is. So as I soon was, as you said Paul, I knew it. I was picturing kind of like a good looking person like that kind of his example, right? No, no. She just a good lay. <laughs> I I think you'd have to be real good <laughs> apparently she was that like, good like unnaturally good A apparently she was but i also don't think i mean guys are different but i was like i don't i could probably have had the best lay in my life and i would still be running from the hills from that lady well i yeah fair enough <laughs> can't argue that <laughs> Okay. Well, well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully you guys like this episode. Um, if you made it to the very end of part number two, we seriously appreciate you. We have all our links down in the description. We have Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, which we are coming out with many more vlogs. Yeah. We have some like plans. We do. We have some tiny home specific ones coming up here shortly. Um, we got a lot down there. So go ahead and check it out. We even have Patreon where you can go and support us a little more if you're up for it. If not, that's totally cool. What you can do to really support us, you can go ahead and uh, rate our show. We yeah. appreciate that. That goes a long way. Yeah, we love ratings. Yeah. Five star ratings. Five star. Or if, <laughs> or if you want one star, we're not going to knock it. We're not going to say your opinion is wrong, even though it is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we have some mosquitoes to go and tackle here. So uh, until next week. Stay wicked. I, that one sounded weird. You, you do it. You do a better job. <laughs> now I'm on the spot here. Stay wicked. There you go.
we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.